Uh, reading now from the book of Acts. If you turn, please, to the first chapter of the book of Acts. And we're going to read the uh, first part of this chapter and then um, a latter part of chapter 2. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these were, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And then if you turn over into chapter 2, and we pick up the account again in verse 29 at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit has come, and where um, Peter is speaking to the assembled crowd. Verse 29 of chapter 2. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received 
from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. You're all very welcome this evening. I should have said that at the beginning. And uh, particularly welcome if you're uh, visiting this evening. I've been picking out in some of the readings in the Psalms uh, power, the power that ultimately rests in God and the power that enables victory in battles and progress across uh, all our endeavours. I want you to begin by imagining for a moment that you have a book missing from your New Testament. Imagine if the book of Acts wasn't there. So, you read through the Gospels and you can see the disciples and they're very human. They're very fallible. They are often confused by Jesus' teaching. They just cannot understand it. They, they don't comprehend it. Uh, a number of the people who come they see as nuisances. Uh, they parents who are bringing the, the young children for Jesus to bless them, you know, they're saying take them away. The Syrophoenician uh, lady uh, from, from that part of the country who is a Gentile coming to plead for her daughter, you know, uh, she should go away as well. Couldn't quite see why Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. Uh, some of these people they saw as, as nuisances really. Uh, and they are Sometimes it seems quite narrowly focused on they want to see a national kingdom back. Kick the Romans out, uh, victory in battle, a national uh, state uh, under their Messiah, restored to physical Israel, to the physical children of Abraham. When Jesus talks about the fact that he's going to have to suffer and die, Peter doesn't like it, tries to uh, stop him talking about it. And you know that they'd quarrels amongst themselves as to who was going to be the greatest. So when you're coming to the end of the Gospels, you see the, the disciples, uh, they're very human, uh, they make a lot of mistakes, they just don't always get, uh, well, saying they don't always get the big picture, they very often do not understand 
quite what Jesus is, is driving at. And even after the resurrection of the Lord at the end of the Gospels, they're still small in number. In Acts 1 verse 15, we read that the company of persons around the disciples is around 120 people. Now, this may have been the central group. There, there may well, there undoubtedly were others uh, more um, broadly spread through uh, Judea. In uh, 1 Corinthians, we're told that when Jesus appeared after his resurrection, on one occasion it was to more than 500 brothers at one time. But, you know, you're still talking about the hundreds. It's not a really big movement at this stage. Uh, Comparatively speaking, they're small, and they're all, it seems, largely from one ethnic group. So in terms of reaching out and going beyond barriers, uh, they're all basically Jews from a particular part of uh, the Mediterranean. Now, any of you who've done job applications or who, who uh, tutor people for job applications or whatever, you know the importance of the CV and Give us an example of a time you've shown leadership. Well, if you'd given that form to the apostles, they might have had some difficulty in, in producing a couple of good examples because they didn't come from leadership roles in society. You'll remember that in Acts 4, the, the rulers of the Jews perceived that the fishermen were, quote, uneducated common men. Uh, they didn't have rich uh, backers or powerful patrons behind them. In fact, the powerful people in their society were their enemies. So that's where we are at the end of the Gospels. Their master had not written any books. As far as we know, they had no records of his teaching or of his acts other than what was in their heads. So weighing that all up at the end of the Gospels, you might think, well... How is this movement going to grow? Is it likely to spread within Palestine? Could their numbers grow? But then you go over to the epistles and you start reading through that. and you, The picture you get there, you've got a strong church. It's got clear teaching. It's facing all sorts of challenges, but there's clear apostolic doctrine to address those problems. It's growing rapidly across the Roman Empire. Paul's struggling. He's saying, you know, I really wanted to get to here, but I had to go to here, and there was work to do here. Uh, so many opportunities opening up for them. It's uniting Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, rich people, slaves, free, poor, all sorts of people from all across the Mediterranean are joining together. So what happened between the Gospels and the Epistles? Well, what happened is that Jesus had told the disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. And the Father fulfilled the promise. Uh, it's called the promise of the Father and that had, had been promised in the Old Testament, as we'll see shortly. And Jesus uh, himself had said um, in Luke chapter 24, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Quite a, an echo of the psalm we sang about being clothed with power. 
He says, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And Jesus had said, uh, he says, wait for the promise of the Spirit uh, that you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When we carry out a baptism, one of the, the symbols of that is baptism. It, is, it does not confer baptism with the Holy Spirit, but it reminds us of that washing with the Spirit. So Jesus says that in, in verse 4 of chapter 1 that we read. But the disciples are still at this stage uh, inclined to look the wrong direction. And they're asking if the Lord will now restore an earthly national kingdom to the Jews. Uh, John Calvin Riley said that in that sentence there are as many errors as words. Uh, it wasn't going to be an earthly kingdom. It wasn't going to be now. It wasn't going to be the, to the Jews. Jesus responds in a way not by answering directly their question, but by telling them it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, the dates and the deadlines. These deep things rest in the hand and the mind of God the Father. People are not naturally curious. I can remember as a teenager, uh, you know, books were very popular, as I think they still are, depending on what sort of bookshop you go into about prophecy and when would things happen and that. Uh, the end would come by 1988 because that was 40 years after the establishment of the state of Israel uh, or all sorts of other schemes. And people are curious, what are the dates and the deadlines that we can identify? Well, it, um, Moses had said long before in Deuteronomy 20, 29, 29 and 29 is the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So certain things, our duties, our promises, uh, our hopes are, are revealed for us in the scripture. But there are many things that rest with God. And Jesus tells them, the times and the seasons are not for you to know. Nor, in fact, does Jesus tell them when the Spirit will come. He says, not many days hence, but he doesn't tell them when. And, in fact, the Spirit will come in ten days. They just have to wait and be patient. We don't always know God's time, but it's going to be in ten days. And that's very significant. Because Jesus, from his resurrection to his ascension, spent 40 days on earth meeting with uh, the uh, disciples and with other believers showing proof of his resurrection and teaching them. And just as God revealed himself on Sinai to Moses for 40 days, so Jesus reveals himself for this period of 40 days. And in another 10 days, that takes you to another very significant date because it's Pentecost uh, connected with the word for, for 50. So it's Pentecost is, is coming. And that's one of a pair of sort of harvest festivals that they had in the Old Testament. There were two. The first one was first fruits. And uh, before the corn was completely ripe, a sheaf would be cut off and offered as first fruits to God. So that was the first part of the sort of harvest. 
But then 50 days after that, that is on the day of Pentecost, the first flour was ground from that corn to make bread. And from this, this first bread of the harvest, then they would offer two loaves to God. So it's part of a harvest festival. And they've been doing this for centuries, celebrating the end of the period where, where you have nothing growing and the coming of this new life. Uh, there's a, a David Gooding, a man from Belfast, a, a preacher and a, a writer of, of different books, has written, the year Jesus rose from the grave, there were bigger things to celebrate. His resurrection was the first break in a more terrible winter. His glorified body, the first fruits of a mightier harvest. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came as the first fruits of a greater inheritance, a foretaste and a guarantee of the final restoration of all creation. So Jesus has told the disciples to wait, not for an earthly kingdom with borders and guards and turrets, territory, but for the promise of the Father. Uh, the prophets had taught that when God brought in the kingdom of the Messiah, he would pour out his spirit. Prophet Isaiah, he had spoken of the spirit being poured in God's people from on high, poured out no generosity and, and, and quantity. It's, it's, it's not a drop or two. He will pour out the Spirit and the wilderness will become a fruitful field. In 44 verse 3, God promised, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. I will pour my Spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. That was Isaiah. Ezekiel, as well, spoke of the promise of the Father. Chapter 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. And Joel, quoted by Peter at Pentecost, said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit in those days. So it's the promise of the Father because it's given in the Old Testament by the prophets. But Jesus too had promised it. He says in verse 4, Wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. There's a John 16, verse 6 would be an example of that. Jesus had said to the disciples, It is to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I, Jesus, will send the Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit had been so central to the birth, life, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit who came upon Mary, who overshadowed her. And Matthew says she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit who formed Christ's human nature to, to uh, which the, the Son of God uh, joined himself. John said that 
God gave Jesus the Spirit without limit. When Jesus, at the very start of his tabernacle, stood up in the, in the when he stood up in the, the synagogue and read, uh, he read, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me." And you remember at his baptism, when he is being um, set aside for his public ministry for the three years of ministry that will lead up to his death. The Spirit, the heavens are opened and the Spirit ascends in the form of a dove upon the Son. A special um, uh, preparation for his work. And just as the Son was prepared for his work, so the Spirit would be poured out upon the church, the body of Christ, uh, for the ministry to come. And what will the Spirit give to them? He will give power. Not that of an earthly kingdom, but the power to be transformed, to become witnesses, powerful witnesses for him, to be gospel preachers, uh, to, to write, uh, to back up their declaration, not just to say a message in a powerful way, but they could perform miracles and signs to attest to the truth of what they were saying. From Moses on, it had been a sign often. You know, Moses was given the sign, what will I say if, if, if they don't believe me? And he was given signs, and the apostles, by the power of the Spirit, were given the ability to perform signs and miracles as attestation, as proof, as stumps to say, yes, this is a divine message. And they, that group of uncertain men, divided, they would become the pillars of the church. Uh, Ephesians 2 describes the household of God as being built on the foundations of apostles and prophets. Some of you have been involved in building houses, overseeing it, or you you go down into the city centre and you see them hammering in those Uh, big piles to to be foundations. These people, far from being uncertain, not certain what way to go, not understanding them, God by his spirit is going to make them the foundation of the church, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. When we've got that picture of the church in Revelation, uh, it's described as um, having a wall with 12 foundations and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So uh, let's think a little bit more about the power in verse 8. The power from the Holy Spirit to become his witnesses. How were these people going to be made his witnesses? Firstly, I said about, you know, it's in their heads. And so many skeptics have looked at the Gospels and, oh, you know, Traditions have come down and different ideas. But the Holy Spirit came and enabled them to recall exactly what Jesus had said and done in their presence. Jesus had said, He shall bring all things to your memory, whatever I have said to you. He shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit enabled them with verbal accuracy to record the message and the deeds of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus had said, the Spirit will teach you all things. Uh, 
In other words, they wouldn't just remember what was said. Some people have great memories, don't they? They can always recall what you said. Well, he said, you'll not just remember, but you'll understand the meaning. In the gospel, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Thirdly, they would be given the ability to speak of future events. The Spirit will show you, Jesus said, things to come. And we've got the revelation. Uh, we've got references to the future in Jude and Second Peter and elsewhere. They couldn't just write about the past, about what they'd seen and were eyewitnesses of. They would be able, enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak of the future. When they spoke, they were given the assurance, it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And as I said, they would be able to back up the teaching with miracles, with signs. The word uh, power is used in connection with miracles uh, seven times in the New Testament. There's a close association between the two. These miracles which accompanied and authenticated the proclamation of the gospel. They weren't just random acts of power. They were letting people see You've heard the message, and it's true. These people are truly from the Creator God. From Moses on, the revelation was often supported by miraculous signs. In chapter 2 and verse 22, uh, Peter spoke of Jesus being attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. He's saying, you knew that Jesus was a teacher of God because nobody else could do these things. That's why the common people were amazed at him. Uh, that's why other people would come back. They'd say, nobody's done this. Think of that great back and forth between the man whose eyes were opened. He said, Has this ever been done before? No, Jesus was attested to with mighty works and wonders and signs. And New Testament miracles by others confirmed the authority of those who spoke God's message. There's an important verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 where Paul calls miracles the signs of an apostle. There's a good book by a writer called Walter Chantry, I think that's the title of it, The Signs of an Apostle. And this is part of the uh, the. the case made by uh, reformed writers against a continuing expectation of working miracles. It's not saying that God, God can raise the dead tomorrow, like, no problem. But we don't expect it as part of the ministry of the church because it was part of the ministry and associated with the apostles and those who were close to them. Uh, and they were bringing God's revelation. And God's revelation in terms of the scriptures is now closed. There's a similar pattern in Hebrews 2 where it says, Salvation was declared to us at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard, so that's the apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And because that power came, uh, the gospel was, was given with great results at Pentecost. And when they spoke, they accurately interpreted the Old Testament scriptures. They reliably set out Christ's life and teaching. 
and they conveyed to the early church uh, God's will. They laid the foundation that we have been building on, that the church has been building on ever since. And we have that foundation. Uh, this isn't just about something that had existed in uh, 50 AD. We have the foundation. We have the, the prophets. We have the gospels. The Holy Spirit came and gave these people accurate recall. What incidents to select from the life of Christ? His words, his teaching, his parables. We have the acts. We have when the power of the Spirit has come upon them, what they are saying and what they are doing. We have their epistles and we have the firm revelation of that which is to come. And all this comes from those who were eyewitnesses of his majesty or those like uh, Mark and Luke, who were very close to Peter and Paul and other apostles. And from them, by their, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we, we receive the scriptures of the New Testament. On it, our church stands or falls, our worship centers around it. It is our guide for life. So we have benefited many times over and in many ways from the power which clothed the apostles for their special role. We have to be careful when we talk about words like power or indeed grace or some other uh, things. We're not talking about impersonal forces. It was a person who came. It was the third person of the Godhead. And no true Christian is without the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's by the Spirit that we are born again. We are sealed by the Spirit of God. In one spirit, we are all baptized into the body of Christ. Paul wrote, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit came in a special way upon the apostles to, to teach them to bring to their mind, to allow them to attest by miracles, to work wonders, even to raise the dead. But that same spirit has sealed you, has baptized you, and gives you the power for a Christian life. We share in that spirit, and we have the power to change, to serve, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And that seems amazing, and sometimes... Uh, we feel so weak and inadequate and we look at the church and it seems so weak and fractured and the forces of ungodliness just seem to gloat and grow. But the power is with God, it is with his hand and he will crush the enemies of Christ and he will let his church grow and flourish. His power is still at work. Uh, Paul and uh, Romans says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You don't have to despair. Uh, you don't have to sink in worry. You may abound in hope by the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit who has been given to us in Second Timothy 1, we're told, is not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He's still at work in those who believe. We concentrated on the, the granting of power to lay the foundation of the church, to confront and confound its enemies, 
and to bring into perfect form the uh, New Testament of Jesus Christ. Uh, We've been reminded that that work continues in believers. And we need to remember the promise of the Father and to think of the spirit of power and to take encouragement from the progress that accompanies the gospel. They are going to be Christ's witnesses. Uh, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say maybe. He says, you will be my witnesses. And they were going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And somebody said it's it's like a section division of the book of Acts. Chapters 1 to 7 is set in Jerusalem. Uh, The promise in the Old Testament had been the law will go forth from Zion. So it starts in Jerusalem, and then it goes out to Judea and Samaria in chapters 8 to 12. So it spreads out. In the Gospels, they'd been told initially not to go to the Samaritans, but now gather the Samaritans in as well. And then 13 to 28 takes the expansion through Turkey, Greece, Italy, and to the very heart of the Roman Empire. But the story is still unfolding today. To the ends of the earth. Would not make a great motto. To the ends of the earth. It's a glorious certainty. The church of Jesus Christ will not be cancelled. will not fizzle out. It will not be buried. The mustard seed will grow until it is larger than all. The leaven cannot be taken out of the flour. It's got in there and it is spreading. The spirit from on high will give power to his people and his word will go forth to the ends of the earth. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.